Welcome to the Mental Advantage Podcast. Whether you're an athlete trying to perform at your best when it counts the most, a coach or business leader trying to get more out of your team, or someone looking for more personal growth, this is the place for you. This podcast is your map to guide you to the right mindset, systems, and strategies you need to become the best version of yourself. And now, here's John Cullen and Brandon Allen. Welcome to uh, the Mental Advantage podcast. And, um, you know, Brandon, we've got a great guest tonight that we've been talking about with the listeners for a couple of weeks now. Tyler Zombro, uh, who is a relief pitcher for the Durham Bulls in the uh, Tampa Bay Rays organization, is going to be joining us and talking a little bit about uh, really his journey in baseball, but more specifically about the uh, unfortunate and horrific incident that happened back in early June where he was hit with a ball, a batted ball, um, that came right back up the middle, every pitcher's nightmare, and hits him right in the head. And, you know, Tyler's knocked out before he even hits the ground. And, you know, he's going to share with us tonight uh, about what his kind of memory of some of those uh, events are and then specifically – you know, that journey back. Yeah. I think it's a great show for, um, for the 50th show. So kind of a, a bit of a milestone there. Um, not to mention just for our, our listeners. Um, one of our co-hosts here is turning 50 by the time that this thing comes out. So, uh, uh, and it's not me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think, I think what people are going to hear with Tyler um, is, is a young man who is, who's mature beyond probably his age. Um, absolutely, um, a cerebral guy and you'll, you'll hear about his approach and, and his background into some of the occupational therapy and physical therapy. And, and he had a really, really, deep understanding of what happened to him um, once he kind of came to and all that, he really knew what it was going to take. And I think as a competitor, you know, we, we hear from him how, um, how that helped shape his, his, um, his direction and his, his um, improvement. Um, It's amazing for those that, that haven't seen it, um, it, it is an absolutely terrifying thing as, as a baseball player, um, both, both as, as a spectator to watch that and also know not only what Tyler went through, but what the batter, the, the young boy or young man that hit it must have kind of gone through or is going through. But man, John, Tyler is, is on pace to get back up on the bump next year, which is just absolutely incredible. It's incredible. I mean, when you watch that video and I thought that was such a great point you brought up um, in the interview and the listeners will hear this is about the the person who hit the ball because, and you know, this, I mean, both of us played the game. Um, our good friend of the show, Chad Hefner 
when I was mm-hmm. in high school, actually hit a ball that shattered in a, it was in a, a baseball game in high school that came right back off of a metal bat, came oh, right wow. back into uh, the pitcher's face, never got his hands up and shattered the, the kid's jaw and uh, everything. And I mean, that sticks with you for a while as, as the person who hit it. And when if you watch the video of Tyler, um, the hitter literally takes two steps out of the batter's box and just drops to his knees. Like yeah. he, he just is, he knows the magnitude of what just happened and uh, you can just tell. And, and granted, we all know that that stuff happens. It's not anything, anybody's fault, any of that stuff. Um, but that's where all of a sudden the game is so irrelevant at that moment. And it, and everybody realizes it in that blink of an eye. For sure. And, and, you know, Tyler talks a little bit about perspective. I know that, you know, we bring up perspective a lot. Um, and, and it's something like that, that really kind of recenters or refocuses everybody to go, Hey, you know, we we're playing a game and, and as a fan, you know, we, we put a lot into it. Um, you know, I even think as a parent, um, you know, we we feel like these games are, you know, more important than they are and all that. And and yes, they're important. And yes, you need to go out and compete and, and absolutely give everything you can to the process. Um, but something like this where you go, holy cow, like this is um, this could be could be tragic. And it, I'm just we're blessed to have him on. Um, I know there was, there were a lot of people. I remember you kind of reaching out, um, the, the night it happened actually. And was like, Hey, you know, if you can put a prayer up for, for Tyler and his family. Um, and I, I remember seeing the video and just being just, it, I mean, it, it, it affected me. Uh, it's I mean, a great sure. way of, yeah, it's a great, great way. It was the words I was thinking is it affects you. And yeah. and I know, and other people I shared that video with, um, it, it affected them as well. And, you know, we, we'd be remiss to not talk about, you know, Tyler's family, um, his mom, Fonda, uh, you know, friends with my wife and she was, you know, my son's uh, grade school teacher and, and is a principal of a elementary school back in the area that Tyler's from and that I just recently moved from. And you talk about that whole community just supports them. I mean, just unbelievable. The prayers, everybody that just rallied behind him uh, right away because they're just good people. You know, they're the kind of people that you want to um, you want to make sure that you're supporting. Um, but it's it's amazing how and Tyler talks about this a little bit too. Is that the game of baseball? And for you know most of our listeners, I'm sure they've played at some level. Um, and I know a lot of sports are like this, but Tyler even references this in the show is that um, it's such a fraternity that, you know, when something like this happens, I mean, you're going to have so much support. Everybody understands that we're all just one pitch away all the time, anyhow. Um, And so, you know, you really, I think in given these, these situations, that's where you see the game, the athletes really kind of shine because you see that, that, fraternity and brotherhood for sure. And, and, you know, you rally around, you know, you rally around. I mean, he's already spoken to several um, players that have gone through it. I mean, it's, it's a great interview and I'm, I'm excited for the listeners to hear it. Absolutely. So here's Tyler Zombro. Happy birthday, brother. Thank you, my man. 
Well, Brandon, we've really been looking forward to our next guest um, for a while now, since we found out he was going to be joining us, you know, and it's one of those things I kind of joke about the fact that you always get the question, what'd you do last summer? How was your summer? And, uh, you know, our next guest, Tyler Zombro is definitely going to have a, a really interesting story to talk about what he did in the summer of 2021. Uh, for sure. And um, uh, especially um, knowing where he's going to be in 2022, I think you can look back and, and it, it becomes a story that uh, uh, should inspire some folks. Um, I, I know it's, it's an incredible, um, it's an incredible story and I'm, 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 happy that the that the listeners are going to get to hear from Tyler. Absolutely. Well, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. For sure. So uh, I've known for the listeners, I've known Tyler for quite some time. His mom was actually my son's third grade teacher. I keep having that question mark at the end of that statement because I don't know it's third or fourth grade, but the reality of it is um, I li- used to live in the area that Tyler's from in Virginia. And so I had the pleasure of seeing Tyler kind of grow as a baseball player through, you know, youth baseball into high school baseball, even watched him play some in the, in the Valley league uh, when he was a player at George Mason. We'll get into some of that, but Tyler, one of the things that always impressed me about you as a player and just watching you develop over the years was even at a young age, you were somebody who always seemed like you had a plan when you came to the ballpark. You always were, uh, as I like to say, one of those players that's very interested in being good. You know, that means you're doing the work, you're willing to ask the right questions uh, and what it's going to take and, and get around the right people. Where did that come from? Where where did the whole uh, desire and the kind of that maturity uh, come from at that age? I think at a, at a young age, I realized that I wasn't genetically the most elite in the population. Um, I think I knew that I had to use my mind to my power in terms of articulating a game plan, how I approach training. Um, I had to be diligent with everything I did. I didn't think that I could waste ample amount of time and still be successful. Uh, thankfully, with my grandfather on both sides, my dad being around the game of baseball, I knew that I needed to get embedded with the right people to guide me in the right direction. Um, and I think when you when you ultima- ultimately kind of divvy up that time of development well, obviously you're more prone to success. Yeah, no doubt about it. So before we get too far into this, I want to know, how are you doing? Just in general, how are you feeling? Uh, you know, we'll get into all of the details here in a little bit, but where are you right now with your re- recovery? I guess is probably a good way to put it. Uh, rehab. Where are you in that? I'm doing very well. Um, I couldn't be more thankful for the team at Duke. So everything was super smooth there from speech therapy to occupational therapy to um, the general PT side mixed in with the sports science. Uh, they have a concussion specialist there who was very helpful with various brain function things, uh, eye tracking, whatever it might be. So all of that has progressed very well. Uh, cognitive function is fully back. I'm uh, starting to get into more of the physical side of things and continue to get better and better there. I'm actually uh, starting to throw again. So that's, that's, that's where I'm at. And, uh, you know, as, as it lies right now, I'm trying to get myself physically ready for spring of 22. 
Yeah. And, you know, not to bury the lead here, but I, I do want to, and I'm glad to hear that you're making that kind of progress. And I've been uh, pleased kind of getting those updates uh, that I see online uh, from people around you and even your own social media um, to see that kind of a progress. But I want to take you back a little bit before we get into exactly uh, what happened in June um, and, you know, what got you on this um, path to, you know, ha- rehabilitation. Um, talk to us a little bit about your baseball journey, if you would, just, you know, maybe from high school into college. I know, uh, you know, you played baseball at George Mason and then maybe talk to us a little bit about how you ended up with the Rays organization. Yeah. So high school, um, wasn't super highly recruited. Only major school I talked to was Wake Forest, Boston College. At that point, they were actually lower level in the ACC. Um, William and Mary and George Mason were really my final two decisions. The blend of academics and baseball at Mason seemed like a great fit. Um, from a player development standpoint at Mason, there's a lot of autonomy. Uh, you've seen a lot of good guys come out of there, get to the pro ranks. If you're self-driven, they they have ample resources just matter of how you utilized it. So Mason was a phenomenal fit for me, Uh, was able to transfer a lot of credits into there out of high school as well, which gave me more time for baseball. Um, And then after George Mason, I went undrafted in 2017, Um, actually didn't hear anything that year in the draft at all. The previous year in 16, I had heard from a few teams, nothing came about. Uh, So in 17, going undrafted was certainly shocking to me. (laughs) Um, I was a pre-PT, pre-med student. So in terms of what came next, I didn't know, actually. Um, Was debating, getting into coaching, going to PT school. Do I start working in the private sector? Uh, And I actually started working at a private baseball facility um, in the D.C. area. And then roughly a month post-draft, I believe it was July 1st or 2nd, um, got a call from the Rays asking if I would go down to Port Charlotte to fill in and kind of eat some innings in the GCL. Uh, so signed with them then and have been with them since. It's awesome. And and really worked. I mean, the reason I bring this up is because before we get into what happened uh, back in June, I, I want people to have some kind of a con, you know, uh, uh, some context to the whole thing that you were, you know, had gone through Princeton, your time in Singaway. I mean, you'd work your way up to where you were now playing with the Triple A Durham Bulls and had been to big league training uh, camp, right? I mean, you, you spring training uh, had an opportunity to be around some of those guys, which I think is going to be something we'll talk about a little bit later on as well. But then, you know, so now what was kind of the the thought process from you coming into this summer? Had the Rays talked to you about what their plans were for you as the summer would unfold? No, they hadn't said much. Um, you know, in 2019, I was lucky enough to be named reliever of the year, had a really good season split between double A AA and triple A. Uh, unfortunately in 20, I was not in the alternate site. Um, so I didn't play at all that year. Uh, I was in big league camp in 20 before the COVID outbreak started and then invited back to big league camp in 21. Uh, other than that, you, you know how deep the rays are with their farm system. So at that point, like you're just trying to get a job, uh, you know, there's a lot of shuffling with how we optimize the roster. So not a lot from them in terms of what kind of to expect, but at the same point in time, you always know with us and how we utilize matchups. If, 
if I am a guy who they can shuffle onto the 40 man roster and I fare well against the Yankees lineup, I might be there. Uh, yeah. It's somewhere you've always got to be on your toes, ready to bounce, be flexible. So that's just kind of the mindset I guess you always have to have with this organization. So, so Tyler, how, so if you can speak to that a little bit, because, you know, as a baseball player, you know, we, we've all got routines and we're, we get kind of um, locked in and there's certain things that we like to do. And some people would say it's superstitious or whatever, but to your point, each organization kind of has its own way of, of um, working the, the, the system and, and, and all that. How do you work? Going into pro ball, were you a pretty flexible from a mental perspective? Like, were you a guy that kind of set expectations? Did you come in with no expectations? Like, how do you how do you do that? And how do you manage it? Because you're so close. You're in you're in Durham. You're in AAA, and you're you're right on the cusp of of being there. So how how do you how do you handle that? Um, while also having to go out and perform, right? So you've got this thing kind of hanging over your head, but you, you've got to go perform. Yeah, so I, I'll tell you right now in college, I was as super superstitious as they come. <laughs> um, I was the, the Friday starter my sophomore, junior, and senior years, and I could tell you about every single thing I did uh, Monday to Monday, every single week. Uh, I don't, I don't even know how much that varied across three years, to be honest with you. Um, going into pro ball as a free agent, I quickly found out I was going to be a reliever. I knew that I had to obviously adapt my training regimen, how I'm ready every day. And I think especially as you move up towards a double-A level and especially a triple-A when you have the chance to throw back-to-back outings, um, things of that nature, uh, you certainly have to be way more flexible understanding what your body needs. I think one thing from the the mental side that's helped me a ton is the ability to check in and check out uh, hmm. being a reliever. And again, with the Rays, you, if you're a high leverage guy, you don't know if you're going in in the fourth or the ninth, but um, being able to, to turn it off a bit and then turn it on when you need is something I've definitely learned. Um, but your question about, you know, the big leagues being there and kind of that overarching thing that is quote unquote looming over you. I quickly learned uh, in my first year in Princeton, my first like three outings were terrible. Um, and I'm sitting there and the GCL was fine. And, you know, Princeton's not the best city in the world. And <laughs> I'm sitting here in the Appalachian league, like what's going on. I had similar thoughts when I got sent to extended spring training in 2018. Um, it's like, can I get to the big leagues? What do I have to do to get there? Uh, started pressing a ton, kind of living and dying on every outing. Uh, and honestly, I think my my teammates, especially the Latin guys from the Dominican, Venezuela, Colombia, um, just ultimately offering points of reflection on where I'm at with life in general. Mm. Um, you know, for these guys, it is a little bit of all or nothing. Um, you know, in Princeton, I took a couple guys to like the Dollar General and they're buying soap for their family. And I'm like, I'm sitting over here worrying about how I just did my last outing. And they're they're worrying about taking soap home for the family. Like, I need to keep these things in perspective. And I think that that ultimately has been the driving factor but behind keeping me sane through this yeah. journey. Even though we all want to get to the big leagues, we we do need to remember where we're at. 
I love that answer so much because as we talk to a lot of the sports psychologists and a lot of the mental performance guys we we talk to on this show, one of the things they talk about is looking at things as an opportunity instead of nervousness, look at it as excitement, you know, and kind of just reframing those thoughts. So I really like that idea of bringing that perspective into it. One thing that I think you have a unique um, kind of lens into is something that I have asked all of, you know, Bob Tewksbury, Scott Foxhall, all of the guys that have been around the pitching game is I'm really curious about the difference between the mindset you had as a starter when it came to handling the adversity of a game that you are, you know, kind of, you're creating your own trouble, right? Like if all of a sudden you get first and second, that was because you, you know, had some things happen during that inning, but then the mindset you have to have as a reliever where you're inheriting this stress, right? You're inheriting somebody else's situation where now all of a sudden you're coming in at second and third. I mean, you don't always get to come in to that clean inning. So have you seen a difference or did you have to make a conscious decision to say, okay, I have to change my mindset a little bit, you know, getting on there as a starter versus being a reliever? Definitely. I think, uh, you know, we, we talk about those nerves ultimately being the chance at opportunity. And one thing I, quickly became good at is you know when that phone rings in the bullpen like go ahead and spike your heart rate like it's you know you're going to get ready a little bit quicker and ultimately if there are inherited runners you got to be ready to go from the first pitch it's not there's not a buffer window to kind of feel out the game flow right yeah um, i think that's something that i've i've had to learn over time and as a reliever generally you're simplifying your stuff down to two at a maximum three pitches uh, you're not reserving anything in the arsenal for the next time through the order. So um, having a clear approach mentally of your plan of attack, knowing you have to go from pitch one, I think is definitely the the best aspect from the relieving role. There's again, with starting, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like you go first time through the order. You don't know how I hit a response to a certain pitch. And, you know, the second time through now I'm, I'm reflecting heavily back on the sequence I threw it before uh, but relieving there's, there's none of that. You got to learn how to step on the gas pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and, and I think it, it's, it's, so, it's just so fascinating to me because when we talked to, to Scott Foxhall, he was saying that, you know, some relievers have this mindset that those aren't my runs. Like they get on the hill and they're like, look, you know, I'm going to compete. I'm, but, but the, having that mindset of those aren't my runs, not in a selfish way, but just so that you're not so ultra focused on the outcomes there. Like, you know, it kind of in some ways said weirdly relaxes some relievers, but then you have some relievers that come in and right from the get go, they're like, I don't care what happens. Those dudes aren't scoring. I don't care who's responsible for putting them there. They're not getting across the plate. Yeah. I think uh, an interesting thing that I've felt with that is the extra inning rule with the guy on second base now, right? Like oh, that's yeah. not technically my run. But it's like if you sack on him and I've got one out, a guy on third, like I'm playing with house money to get a strikeout, right? Yeah. Like that guy's supposed to score. Right. Um, I think I think eliminating the externals there are valuable. I do know personally for me, if I come into a game and the runner's on first and second, nobody out, if it's nowadays, most people aren't bunning. But I'm thinking, okay, what scenarios play out here to where those guys don't score? Is there a ground ball double play in line? Uh, a pop out is this guy a strikeout candidate. Um, I'm as soon as that guy steps up to the plate, generally I know which outcome of those things I'm probably looking for. 
So that's, that's kind of how I approach it is almost like a puzzle of, all right, what's the way out. Yeah. No, I can easily see you doing that. You were always one of those cerebral pitchers and, and, you know, to your point earlier, I think, and this is not a knock on you. You said it yourself. I think when you're not that, you know, naturally it's like everything just comes easy to your player. That's the ones who are sometimes the best players because they're the camp junkies. They're the ones who do everything oh, more fundamentally. And, and yeah. strategically, right, they have to think a lot more strategic about some of those things. So I think that's probably one of those things, as you mentioned earlier, you know, not necessarily gifted with all of this elite uh, natural size, all the other stuff. But because you were able to think that way at a young age, I think is no doubt helping you now at this uh, at this stage in the game. So that's really cool. Um, OK, so now all of a sudden you start this year. Things are going pretty good, right? I mean, you guys, how many games had you all played up until June when you were, or how many appearances, I should say, had you had around that time? I think I think I'd thrown 11 innings. I think we had played 35 games. Yeah. I, I'm guessing we were probably like 28 and 7 or something right. at that point. Yeah, because so you guys Everything were was going well. Yeah, everything's going yeah. well. Then June 3rd, right, date that uh, I'm sure you'll remember for a long time, um, you're throwing – come in you know middle of the inning or middle of the uh uh game and um you know have one of those every pitcher's worst nightmare probably is that ball coming right back up the middle you just don't it's not no fault of your own you just don't aren't able to react enough i mean at the end of the day these guys are putting forth a lot of uh you know bat speed that are going to some of these balls and the ball you didn't get a chance to react i know you don't remember any of this, right? I mean, has any of that come back, but the ball for the listeners hits you in the side of the head and you're knocked out literally before you hit the ground. And just, I mean, anybody who's seen video was there that night, whatever the case may be. I mean, to this day, if I, you know, when I've watched that video, I still get the same response, like just of nervousness of like, what's, you know, what's going on. I even know the outcome at this point, but um, you know, what, what do you, where, what do you remember? What's the first thing I should say that you remember about all of that? Yeah. So my, uh, my memories cut out pretty much June 3rd through like the sixth or seventh. Um, I can recall things when I was in the hospital with my wife, my parents, um, yeah. as far as leading up to June 3rd, I believe it was a Thursday night game. I had thrown two days before. So I actually probably wasn't likely to pitch that night. I'd thrown hmm. one and two thirds. Um, we were in a rain delay for probably two hours or so. Um, we're supposed to have piggybackers that night. They didn't get very far. I knew we were probably going to need to use a lot of the pen. Uh, I remember walking through the dugout and I don't know, the fourth or fifth and the pitching coach kind of saying, Hey, like you're probably going to have to throw one tonight. Um, and that's, that's pretty much the last of what I can remember yeah. uh, from that point. Yeah, until June sixth, and that's when it all starts to kind of come back. When you, you know, wake up or kind of start to get some of that memory back on June sixth, and you start to to be a little bit more understanding of what aware, I should say, of what's going on. What's your thoughts? What what's going through your head at that point? Yeah. So when I wake up, uh, obviously you wake up in a hospital room. You you have no idea what's going on. Um, thankfully, uh, my wife was actually to my left. My parents were sitting over to the right. Um, 
you know, I kind of looked up at her in confusion. I guess I had been responsive before this, but I, I don't remember any of that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, she tells me what happened. Um, and at that point internally, I'm like, okay, well, I see my wife, I see my parents, I know who they are. Right. Um, that's, that's a good sign. Um, yeah. I'm having, I'm having conscious thought. So that's a good sign as well. Um, neurologist then came in a little bit later, explained to me what had happened because they also, um, had to do tests on me every couple of hours, just from the, the epidural hematoma, the seizure. I know at one point they were concerned about a stroke in the hospital. Um, so I was getting frequent check-ins, but then finally the neurologist was able to kind of give me a rundown of what the surgery looked like what happened, where we're at, what recovery might look like. Um, and then, you know, the only th other thing that really scared me was um, the area that was affected of the brain was the speech and motor cortex. Uh, yeah. so, so my speech was slow, but on the motor side, I, I could not feel the left side of my body for a while. So that was a little, little odd. Right. But again, I just kept kind of going back to, all right, well, I have conscious thought. I know who these people are. I can get out a couple words and Let's let's build from there. You know, you think about. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say. So, so Tyler, at what point? Um, you, you kind of do a self assessment, like you said. You're you're you are where you are. At what point do you start thinking? Okay, well, how do I get out of here? And how do I get back on the mound? And and is that even something that you're immediately thinking about or? you know, our, our, how does that even start to kind of come back to you as like, okay, here's something that I still want to pursue and do. Yeah. Um, I will say when, when I was hearing the neurologist and with me having the medical PT background, um, you know, he explained the fracture, he explained how many screws and plates needed to be put in, um, and like that, that was fine. You know, there's been a few guys who have been hit across the years. Uh, actually, a guy I just saw here at Tread uh, this week, Daniel Ponce de Leon, is a guy who had a small fracture. Uh, my fracture is a little bit different in terms of how it kind of radiated. But when he started talking about the epidural hematoma, um, and of course, that being an artery clip that's going to the brain, issues of bleeding on the brain, tissue damage, whatever that looks like, when I knew that that was in the picture, uh, my thought was all about cognitive function. I, yeah. I definitely didn't think about the mound there and that kind of, I don't know what timeline that would be, but those thoughts weren't, weren't coming to me yet. I knew that the cognitive thing could be something pretty serious. So that's, that's definitely where all my focus went. Yeah. Changes that perspective pretty quickly. You know, I think about this and I'm sure you have as well as you've had some time now, you know, a few couple months after this, um, Talk about blessings, man. I mean, if you're going to get injured to the degree that you got injured, being near Duke University Medical Center is not too bad, right? I mean, that's a uh, – I don't know. I, I forget who you all were playing that night, but if that's an away game, I mean, it's – you know, you're not getting the same level of treatment. I don't care where it is, and that's no offense to whoever you were playing, but – you know, Duke's one of those places you you would uh, if you're going to have a medical emergency that it's a good place to be around. Yeah, I uh, I've ref reflected on that a few times because if this were to happen in Princeton in the Appalachian League, like, am I airlifted to Roanoke? That's right. 
you know, I don't know how far that is via helicopter, but it's not close. Yeah. Um, and the, the great thing was with my trainers, how responsive they were, uh, the ambulance being close. I, I think the time from the incident to me being in a CT scan to being operated on by the neurologist was like 30, 45 minutes or something like that. So like you're talking about in a variety of cases there, like who even knows if I'm at the hospital at that point. Yeah. Well, and, and you just said something and, and Brandon and I talk to a lot of experts about this is the idea that as players, one of the challenges, at, especially towards the end of players' careers, is that's their identity, right? It's like this is who they are. They're, they're, you know, for you, it would be he's a major league, you know, pitcher and he's, you know, uh, that becomes your definition and your identity. I would imagine, and to your point about when you wake up, you're not you're thinking about the cognitive stuff. But you're also thinking about Tyler Zombro as the person, right? And not it's like the the player thing becomes so secondary to you at that point. Yeah, I think um, obviously you're familiar with me working outside of the game of baseball, but um, I think everybody will tell you that my mind is better than my body in terms of performance, and that's immediately what comes to mind is. Am I going to get back to where I'm at function wise? I know that can carry me for the rest of my life um, in terms of what my wife and I do long term, how things evolve. If I have that cognitive function, I know we're going to be good in that regard. And like you're saying, um, I, I ultimately had been out of the game of baseball before by not being drafted. I know what that felt like. Um, I can I can live with it. And again, putting that in perspective to just be functioning fully have opportunities still in front of me that that was the only thing that mattered. So, so Tyler, um, so there, there's another side of the coin as you're getting better and recovering. Um, you have the hitter who, who actually, you know, hit the ball and hit you. Um, he, he's probably going through a lot. I know as, as a player, I know that if, if I was on the other end of it, I, there, there's some devastation that goes along with that. Have you guys had an opportunity to kind of talk and, and it, how, how, is, how does that look? And, and, and is there comfort or grace that you provide to, to him? Like how, how does that actually kind of go about? Yeah. Um, one of my closer friends, JC Ascara, who I played summer ball with in Stan actually was in uh, Norfolk with that oh, wow. guy. Okay. Um, Brett Cumberland and I haven't, we haven't spoke about it, uh, given him a wave. Uh, honestly, for me, the kind of the mission ever since I got out of the hospital and started getting better, both for him, my teammates, my wife, uh, one thing that I wanted to do was start filling in the blanks. Um, I wanted to show them progress. I wanted to kind of set the tone of the recovery stage. So, you know, early on, I'm, I didn't want people to see me for a while. It was a couple weeks. Um, I, I just didn't care to let them see that. But other than that, you know, with the therapies I was going through, the progress I could see, I would try to talk to guys a little bit more, you know, started when I started walking around, I did that. But ultimately with our, uh, our team psych guy who came around a ton, you know, I told him, I'm like, you know, if somebody reads skull fracture, epidural hematoma, brain bleeding, he's going to speech therapy, he's doing this, he's doing that. Like you have no idea what 
what I'm going to look like or how I'm going to be. So I didn't want that perception to kind of loom. So it was definitely a bit of a mission to get out there, show progress, get the guys feeling better about where it's at. Cause I know that for, for everything I was going through, other people were certainly struggling just as much, if not more. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I mean, because I have a window into this, I know that you have just an unbelievable support system around you. I mean, not only it's friends and family, it's the community that in which you come from, it's, you know, college community, it's the Rays and Bulls community. Um, talk to us a little bit about what that has been like for you, because I imagine you've had so many, I know the Rays put together a video tribute and stuff like that, or a, I should say a little like, you know, get well message. Um, talk to us a little bit about those texts and, and phone calls and all the things that, that you've been able to experience. And I'd also be curious if any of those surprised you, did you get any notes or texts from anyone that's, that surprised you? Yeah, I think, I mean, there were a ton that surprised me when I woke up. I think there was like 1300 text messages. Um, I will say kind of the evolution of the quality of text message I got was something interesting to see as, you know, a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. I I mean, I didn't respond to them all for a very long time. Um, But seeing, you know, originally it's like that night guys are like, like, hope you're all right. hope you get back out there. And, you know, some, it transitioned to then, you know, a lot of people, like we're talking about separating the player identity and the person, you see the transition uh, kind of trend towards caring about the person. How's he going to be long-term stuff on the field certainly becomes irrelevant at that point. So seeing a lot of that um, was something that I definitely took notice of because at that point in time, people are caring about the individual, all playing stuff is out the window at that point. So Tyler, what, what role does, so, so one of the things that, that we talk about a lot on the, on the podcast is some of the resources that are available now that, that coming up, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the team psych guy and all that from, from, from a mental perspective, um, what kind of role does does that play? How soon do they start coming around, and and how soon do you really start to kind of self assess and, and go through some of the exercises? Because that I would think at the time that that probably happens, that's got to be a little bit taxing and and exhausting, doesn't it? I mean, it's great that the resource is there and that 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 you're able to take advantage of it, but by the same token, it's got to be somewhat taxing. So how, how does that whole mental side of it get, get introduced back, back into your rehab? Yeah. The, I mean, while I was not in it uh, mentally there, uh, you know, the team side guy was there. Our GM was there. Other members of our front office, um, they all spoke with my family and my wife, the teammates, um, everybody involved. So that was going on on the peripheral. I had no idea. Um, when I get back home, uh, you know, the team side guy is there. And again, when my speech wasn't good, uh, I would spit out a few words or a sentence and then I would go back to sleep because um, I'm still heavily sedated. But I think I then start to. What what really hit me uh, probably two weeks or so after is the effect it was having on other people. And 
I did frame that perspective of my own well-being because as inflammation started to go down post-surgery, I was getting better day by day. Um, I had a strong feeling I was going to come back fine being myself. I know everybody was worried about that early on. It's what, what does this look like on the other side? So um, being able to see where other people were at and knowing kind of what they needed, I think my attention shifted towards, all right, I'm, I'm confident in myself to get back here in terms of cognitive function. How can I better relax those people around me? Um, and, and showing signs of that was a lot of my motivation early on. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because, you know, um, you just celebrated four days ago, actually, I guess on the 3rd of October, your one year wedding anniversary. And for the listeners, not only have you at this stage in the game in June 3rd, not, I mean, this is somebody you've known all your life. I mean, you and Mariah have, you know, kind of grown up around each other or whatever, but um, not only are you not even married a year yet, she's at the game that this all happens at. So, I mean, what I'm sure you've learned so much about, you know, just the strength. And I mean, you knew you made the right decision way before this happened. You didn't need June 3rd to teach you that, but talk to us a little bit about what you've learned about her. Yeah, I think especially early on when I couldn't do anything when we came back home and she's, she's doing everything. When I go to the bathroom, she has to take care of me. She has to bathe me. Even when we were in the hospital, she would roll me into the shower room and bathe me. Um, she was just over the top in terms of care. Uh, and I think, again, on that just side of everybody recovering from it, you know, for her, that was a lot of my motivation. Um, something I've felt pretty strongly about is uh, I've had a couple talks with the people that aired the video originally and the lack of modification to it and attempting to re air it and really understanding the effects that that could have on other people is something I voiced to them repeatedly. Uh, like if you watch the ESPN feature, you probably notice there's a conscious effort that that is not included in those yeah. videos. That's not for my sake. I, I can't remember it if you gave me a million dollars to do so, right. but for them, um, that was something I was pretty passionate about. So again, trying to reshape the, the recovery process in a positive light, and I think with her recovery and doing so much behind the scenes early on, she, she allowed me to do that. Are, are the, those resources Brandon talked about, have they been available to, you know, like Mariah and some of your family as well? Cause I mean, I know that's, and I'm sure, uh, you know, they, a lot of those folks were at the hospital and around you or whatever. So it was probably happened organically where they're just talking to, you know, Mariah and some, some of your mom and, you know, all of the folks that were there. Is that what happened? Yeah, they've been great. Um, it's continuous support. Uh, they always will check in. Um, if it was something as simple as, you know, figuring out some way that my parents could go back home for the for the weekend or something. Cause there for a while I did have to have 24 seven supervision. Um, Mariah of course was, you know, I me like a hawk, her being a nurse, she had that side in her already. So um, I could guarantee everybody that I was not going to get an infection on the scar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was in, I was in safe hands that that thing was being cleaned multiple times a day. Um, so I had very watchful eyes over me. And then a lot of that support staff, really did well with helping them kind of relax and blending that with seeing me start to recover, I think certainly helped a ton, but our, our front office was incredible with it. Um, Eric, Neander, the GM, you know, we're talking weekly, bi-weekly, talking on the phone for an hour, 
of course, with what I do outside of my playing career, we talked a ton about that. Um, but just the overall support they gave was incredible to both myself, family, teammates. Um, and it was really a good combination to, to take the rehab, recovery, and positive light and combine that with their own coping. So there's not an, a lot of, I mean, this is probably more common than a lot of people think, but not near as common enough that you would have, you know, a handbook, so to speak, of how you come back from this, right? Like, um, have you had an opportunity uh, or will you, I guess, seek out some of the individuals that have come back from from similar incidents and just maybe from a mental standpoint, what was, you know, their logic or their thought process, the strategy uh, to come back from something like this? Yeah. So Ponce de Leon um, is a guy who came back in like two to three months. Um, Danny Farquhar is actually one of the guys I talked to right off the bat. Um, he's an X-ray. Actually, one of the guys I'm close with here at Tread was in high A with the White Sox. So he was his pitching coach. Um, and he actually connected me with Rob Vito, who was the guy who's designed headgear for me. Wow. Um, and so that that set a lot of the stage early there with how things would transition. But I've talked to them some about the, you know, the general process, um, you know, going into an off season, I'm able to treat it the same. I'm sure I'll have more questions as we kind of get ready to move forward here, but overall, uh, Jeff Baker's another guy who I've talked with Northern Virginia guy who was hitting the face his rookie year in Colorado. Uh, he was a hitter though, but you know, coming back from that, what it looks like from getting cleared standpoint, um, has been good. And then, on the cognitive side, I think Danny was probably the one who dealt with most of that that's similar to mine. Um, and so getting through that part of rehab, having support and motivation, certainly good. What was it? Um, I meant to ask you this earlier. What was it like? I know you had an opportunity to speak with the first responders and to meet them at a, at a ball game. I mean, that had to be a special moment for you. Yeah, I was definitely, you know, overcome with emotion. Um Again, I, I can't remember it. Right. Um, and, you know, again, I try to think of, of how good I'm, I'm doing, how things have progressed. Um, of course, everybody is, you know, still shooken up from it. They have so many thoughts, but ultimately, you know, all I can do is just be thankful that they were there, they responded. Ultimately, they're a part of this healing process too. Yeah. And, and I think you're, you're very wise to take it as that day-to-day approach. And I'm sure your medical professionals there at Duke are, are continuing to do that as well as it's not, you know, cause I think that it's very easy for any athlete, any competitor to start getting into that. I've got to accomplish this. I got to accomplish that. And to, to be that goal focused, which is good, right. To some degree, that's what keeps people motivated to keep moving um, but at the same time, though, I think it's really, really important that you just are like, okay, let's just go today plus today plus today plus today and just keep working on it. I love the idea that you introduced earlier of from a mindset perspective of, you know what, this is about the the windshield, right? The windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror for a reason. And, and even though this is something that has tremendous impact and will be something that you, you know, will be a part of your life forever. Right. I mean, this happened. Um, but you're thinking of the future as the bigger picture here is very, very smart. I think it's the right mindset. Yeah. Um, you know, early, early on with 
the speech therapy and occupational therapy. Um, I'll, I'll never forget my first occupational therapy session for the life of me. Um, it was, it was frustrating beyond belief. I wasn't happy coming out of it. My wife would tell you that I was pretty pissed off. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, at that point it's like, I'm going in, uh, Duke actually has a, a separate hospital. It's called Lennox Baker where all TBI patients go. So you have, you know, stroke, seizure, whatever it might be, variety of ages in there. Um, people who have had brain tumors removed, young, old, everywhere in between. And it's an older building, kind of like a sad feel to it. Um, and I went in, uh, my first assignments were based upon like general motor skill, uh, kind of like some pattern recognition, which thankfully I've worked with a neuro coach in the past. So I'm I'm familiar with a lot of these different tasks. I was trying to use it for my performance at that point, but now it's a rehab thing. Um, <laughs> and, you, you know, she tells me like, what were kind of the worst symptoms? Uh, I'm not even walking well at that point. Mariah's obviously walking with me, kind of keeping me in check. So I don't fall over. Um, we sit down, you know, I'm doing like a, a grip strength test. I can't really squeeze it with my left arm because I can't feel it. Um, she's asking me to like draw a line from 1A, 2B, 3C, 4D, et cetera. Um, like I'm very slow in processing that. Um, and at that point, like I'm just frustrated beyond belief. I'm like, this this is awful. I'm in this environment. Of course, I'm thinking like, what's going to happen from here? Um, I go home and I'm, I'm mad. Uh, but I'm like, at the same time, you know, I have to allow the inflammation to calm down. I can't expect to be coming out of a brain surgery, just ready to go. Right. Uh, so like I, I took a nap that night. Um, and then I woke up, I actually, I told my mom, I was like, can you give me some Sudoku books? Cause at that point I'm like, all right, I want to, I want to get this thing right. rolling a little sure. bit. Uh, so I started solving a couple of those, uh, just to feel better. And, um, uh, ultimately the net, the preceding days where the inflammation started to go down and I felt better, um, I, then I started to become eager to get back in there to do different assignments to show the progress. Um, but early on, it was definitely a, a point of defeat. But then I realized that the only way this is going to happen was through patients. Yeah. So, Tyler, at any point, do you use your knowledge to kind of not say cheat, but give you an advantage like, oh, I know what they're getting ready to ask here and kind of like work it through, like to, 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 to kind of get the right answer and to make a little more progress than, um, you know, maybe someone like myself that, that hasn't, I don't have any background in that. So I really don't know what they're trying to ask. Right. So do you kind of use that to your advantage? Yeah, I knew that. Um, I knew that reaction time impulse, uh, okay. general spatial awareness and pattern recognition were going to be the quick ones. So I'm like, you know, with, uh, I actually, one of the first things I did was I sent an email to a company blaze pods that has like the reactive fitness lights. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. get those in because yeah. as I got cleared to do more, like I wanted to work on the reaction time. And then at my last OT appointment, like that was something I had to do an X amount of time to get clear. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I had an idea right there. Yeah. That tells you everything yeah. you need to know about Tyler. He knows what they're going to do. He puts in the work and then he crushes it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I had an idea of, of what I was going to do. That's why I like the Sudoku books and other things. I was 
trying to incorporate, um, but obviously not strain myself too much at that point in time. So thankfully yeah. I was able to work that in slowly. So let me ask you, Tyler, awesome. and, and this may be an obvious uh, answer, but I, I, I think the listener is going to have the same uh, question I have, which is why is it so important for you to come back in 2022? Yeah. Um, I've received a, a mixed bag of feedback on that. Um, one of the things that early on hit me was we went to the neurologist appointment, our first one post-surgery, uh, it's probably two, two weeks post-op about it's when I actually had the staples removed. MRI is asking a ton of questions for me. I still wasn't talking too much. Um, she's saying, you know, do you think I'll play again? What's this look like? What's that look like? And at that point, I think Dr. Cook's kind of obliged to say, yeah, like I, I think I'll play again. But of course, you know, there's, of course, the risk that he doesn't. Uh, we just kind of have to see how things progress. I knew that there would be a repeat CT scan in my future. Um, and at that point, it's kind of out of my hands. Um, I actually had that repeat scan December 1st uh, back at Duke Hospital. So I'll have the CT scan, then I'll go see Dr. Cook after, and then he'll tell me yes or no. Um, and receiving feedback from people, there was the population that was like, you have so much good going on in your life with your work in the private sector. I think everybody thinks I'm going to be a GM and in a front office in the future. And I could start to go down that avenue as well. So they're like, why, why not just go ahead and do that? And then on the other side of things, and this is kind of how I view it is like, I'm playing with house money here. Like I don't, I don't have much to lose in this regard. If, if I'm cleared and everything's approved, why, why would I not get back out there? And I, I really don't want the last uh, kind of game or impactful thought of my baseball career for, Mariah, my parents, anybody who's supported me in my career thus far to be that game. So, you know, I love it. If all is cleared and all else is equal, why, why would I not get back out there? So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. So what's success look like for you when you, when you, you know, if I say, what's the goal, is it to get back out there and just be able to compete at the level you were, or are you like, you know what, what an amazing ending to this story to be, you know, there in Tampa Bay sometime, you know, walking out on the mound that way. Yeah, I think it's, it's the same thing as when I entered pro ball of that perspective lens uh, is going out there. I've, I've controlled the process thus far yeah. in terms of my cognitive rehab, my physical preparation. Uh, I go out there, do the things I can do to the best of my ability. And then, you know, however it turns out is how it turns out. Um, Love that. I, def I definitely do not feel any external pressure of over exceeding, yeah. you know, yeah. and I think that's, that's also a powerful thing is there's nothing like I wasn't drafted one, one and signed for an enormous amount of money. You know, I don't, I don't have that over my head either. So again, I, I just approach it from the standpoint of when I look at this thing holistically, I'm lucky to be where I'm at cognitively. I have so many things good in my life going on. So this playing picture is just a really small part of all of that. Yeah. If I can maximize it, I'm going to maximize it. Uh, and where that falls in terms of on the scale of where it gets to, then just so be it that that'll let itself kind of reveal. Now you mentioned the uh, protective gear. Is that something that you you've already heard from the physicians that have said, look, 
you know, no matter how the CT scan comes out, you're not going out there with just the regular new era issued uh, hat, right? You're going to have to have a little something extra in it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I asked Dr. Cook all along. I was like, I'll, I'll go like John Olerud. Yeah, that's you know, right. That's what I was thinking the, of. Yeah. The Scully on there. Um, <laughs> it actually, the insert does look a lot like a Scully. Uh, it yeah. goes on the inside of the hat. Uh, it's carbon yeah. fiber with some padding underneath. Um, I mean, he, he of course has said like, I recommend you have headgear when you come back to playing. So my thought process is if, if I have the headgear and seeing how the fracture is healing, if I'm, as safe or more safe than, you know, all the reason to go do it. And so I think that'll provide, you know, clarity for all parties involved that I'm also having that protective layer in there. Awesome. What's a, uh, what are some of the things you're doing? Let's brag about tread athletics for a second. What are, what are some of the things you're doing with them? I know that uh, you were, t- we were talking before we started recording that you've got a lot of really exciting stuff happening in this off season with them. Yeah, we're a uh, remote training company, uh, largest in the world, over a thousand athletes. Um, thankfully, when I came on last November, uh, a lot of projects around data, track man usage, um, both educating athletes on it, providing comps to them, to their agents, helping in free agency, whatever that might look like in terms of how data can further somebody's career. So that's heavy what my role is. I'm also a coach. Um, I'm coaching, I guess about 40 to 50 athletes, uh, 30 to 40 are pros and uh, 15 are big leaguers. So high level clients that we're working with, which is fun, a uh, ton of problem solving, but tread as a whole, you know, 25 to 30 coaches all coming from different backgrounds all in the same room bouncing ideas off of each other all the time and really just maximizing an athlete's experience. So tons of educational growth stuff that goes on. And, uh, that certainly distracts me a ton from my playing career is I always have that going on. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, Tyler, uh, last question for you. And and you've been so generous with your time, but, but I'm going to ask you this question because I have a feeling that this will be one of those questions you get uh, quite often, actually, as you move forward to the rest of your life is, you know, when you deal with something like this and you have to face that type of adversity and you have to start that comeback, you know, story, any advice you have for other people that are kind of going through similar things that are maybe at that as Dave Meyer, our first guest ever on this show, who is a, a physical therapist as well, talks about it as time zero. It's that first day, you know, where things, this is the low point, right? And everything is progress, or at least the hope is to move forward from there. But for those that are going through their own time zero, and it's not maybe getting hit with a batted ball, it might be something else, but any advice you'd have for them? Yeah, I think it's, it's the day by day growth. Um, and I think taking small victories, no matter where they are. So or early on when that inflammation's kind of crazy, I'm not doing much. I need to realize that that sleeping is actually healing at that yeah. point. Right. And I think as I continue to progress, um, going day to day keeps your mind away from that long-term kind of lofty goal out there. I can't, I can't be thinking about pitching in the big leagues after an incident like that. It's just yeah. not, not realistic. Um, and ultimately having some other external source of not motivation, but some, somebody or something you're doing it for is certainly better than 
than doing it for myself. Um, I think I'm just always more motivated when it is that way. Not trying to be selfish. If, you know, I'm, I'm trying to better my livelihood. I'm, I'm trying to better it for my wife, right? Like it's not, it's not always for myself. So I think having that approach of doing it for my teammates, my family, wife, growing that way for them, it's not about me getting to the big leagues. It's about making them feel more comfortable about where things are. And if I could do that incrementally better each and every day, then ultimately it's going to lead to somewhere. Uh, but I think that that day by day thing is, is huge because in the TBI hospital, you certainly see a lot of cases where that's, that's not going well. And it's unfortunate and it's honestly painful to see is a lack of support, a lack of motivation. Um, as you know, with brain tissue, it doesn't grow back. If you have permanent damage, you have permanent damage and you have to reconfigure different neural pathways to make different things happen. And um, if you're not, you're not trying to do a little something each day to kind of trigger those pathways, it's hard to, hard to get back to full function. So being able to have that support motivation to do something incrementally each day is, is ultimately what I would say. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, Tyler, like I told you in a text message, uh, my money's on you, man. I, I, I just think that your mindset, your approach to things has always been a very positive one. You've always had a plan, like I said, at the beginning of this thing, and you know what you're wanting to accomplish. Um, you understand the importance of the commitment to the process. And like you said, take it day to day and just see whatever happens, happens. Because you know, I think that playing with house money mentality is the right one, because I think if you look back and kind of reflect on your career, uh, you've been playing with house money for a while now, right? Like, I mean, everything is that blessing. Everything's been that that uh, opportunity. So, you know, I know we're pulling for you and, and I have no doubt that you'll be you know, back on the, on the Hill in 2022 and add me Absolutely. to that list who thinks that you're going to be a great general manager one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see how all that transpires, but I'm hoping not to worry about it for a while. But um, sure. I think uh, one of the interesting points you just brought up about uh, general control um, and kind of just letting things unravel as they will is like Clayton Kershaw is a guy that I, I idolize personally. And one of the things that uh, a quote that he had from a while back that stuck with me is the more control you try to have over something, the more out of control it gets. And Absolutely. that's, that's something that uh, I've certainly taken in, in this whole thing in terms of recovery. No, I, I think it's un, uh, really, really spot on. Great last word to the show, man. We're, we're uh, happy for your progress. Um, happy to see yeah. everything that's uh, evolved since the incident. And, you know, I think the, the great thing about this is one of our last guests that we had on talked about, you know, everybody's life as a, as a book and that, you know, each day is a new page, a new chapter. And the great thing is there's a lot of blank pages that are up ahead of you. And you're the one who kind of controls the narrative to that. You're the one who writes the story because the pen ultimately is in your hands. And, right. you know, we just wish you the best of luck because I know it's going to be an outstanding story that you uh, are going to continue to put to those blank pages you have. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm looking, looking forward to writing. Awesome. Sounds awesome. good, Tyler. We appreciate you. Thanks, Tyler. 
Want to provide feedback or stay up to date with the show? Visit our Instagram page at Mental Advantage Podcast. Or you can send us an email at podcast at mentaladvantage.net. To have John Cullen work with you or your team, please write to him at john.cullen at mentaladvantage.net. Thanks for listening to today's episode. 